The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. Thank you all for receiving me and allowing me and my family to be here uh, with you this morning. It really is uh, strong on my heart that we as the churches and the outer banks that preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be unified because we are one body. And as I'll talk about in a little bit, um, we are made as one big church. We might meet in different congregations on Sunday mornings. We might have different worship styles, but we're one church that is called to bring the healing of Christ to the nations. And that's exciting to me. Let me pray for us really quick, and, uh, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be good and pleasing to you, a rock and redeemer of our souls. Amen. So as uh, Scott mentioned, my wife Brandy is here. We've actually known each other uh, since eighth grade. In eighth grade, I moved across town uh, from, from one side of Marietta, Georgia. Uh, anybody here familiar with the suburbs of Atlanta? Down there, you call it Mayretta, not Marietta. And uh, so I moved from one side of the town to the other. And on the first day of eighth grade, I walked into my new school and there was a vision in acid wash jeans. <laughs> this was 1987 uh, and uh, her hair was teased this high. It brought her from 4'11 to about 5'5". And I was immediately smitten with Brandy. Uh, Later on in the year of the eighth grade dance, I asked her to dance with me. And we did the eighth grade dance like this, you know, as far apart as you can possibly be, swaying back and forth. And uh, I asked her to go with me, um, which meant, are you going to be my my girlfriend? And she said, yes. Uh, It lasted all of two weeks when... uh, one morning in homeroom, I got a note slipped to me under the door um, that, uh, that, that said um, that she was, she was done. Uh, it was, I know, it broke my heart. She ended up dating a guy that ended up playing um, uh, for the Colts as like an offensive lineman, right? Who wants a six foot like seven guy when you've got something like this with five foot five? <laughs> but... Ultimately, we, uh, we, we were good friends all through high school, and we ended up getting, uh, we started dating right after uh, college was over, and we've got four wonderful kids. Sam is 16, Jack is 13, Luke is 10, and Lila is 3. And uh, the last I saw, Lila was crying in the nursery, but hopefully uh, she won't come running in here because uh, she's a daddy's girl, and it's pretty awesome. Um, like I said, or I think I said it, uh, when, when Brandy and I were first married, I was a teacher, and I taught for about 10 years. I was an art teacher, and uh, I'm a sculptor, I'm a painter, I'm an illustrator, I love artwork. And so I wanted to bring you uh, and show you some of my art, um, just to share with you really quick. Um, so this is a self-portrait that I painted 
when I was first in seminary, so I was about 30, oh goodness, how old was I when, when I went to seminary? I think I was 33. It was about 10 years ago. And uh, so this is based on, a, well, seminary kind of whacked me in the face uh, with all the knowledge, and I thought that I was smart, but then I went to seminary and realized I wasn't. And, uh, and so this is a look of confusion on my face as I was trying to, to comprehend all these things that the professors were telling me. There's words written there, and it's, it's from 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 1.20. And it's, where's the wise person? Where's the scribe? Where's the philosopher? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? And uh, so that's what I looked like in seminary, realizing that I was a pretty foolish person. Um, but God was good, and, 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 uh, and it was a great time. Um, this next picture is, uh, I, I got a chance a few years ago to work with a Russian Orthodox master iconographer, right? And so in the Orthodox tradition, they use um, uh, artwork uh, extensively in their, in their worship services. And uh, if you walk into a sanctuary of, of an Orthodox church, it is covered with, with these beautiful pictures. Now, this is a, um, this is a painting done with egg tempera of Michael the archangel, who's one of my, my favorites. And um, this, was a, this is a copy of an original piece done by an iconographer named Andrei Rublev, who lived about four or five hundred years ago. Uh, I, Rublev has a famous uh, icon of the Trinity that's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful picture. So this is, um, this is an icon. Now, I want you to take that word icon and I want you to put it on the shelf because we're going to return to that word in a little bit, all right? It's, it's got a lot of um, baggage with that word. A lot of people think about icon and, uh, and they think idol worship or they think computer screens or, or, or phone screens, you know. Um, but we're going to unpack icon in a little bit, all right? And then the final picture, well, actually not final, second to last picture I wanted to show you was something I painted of Christ. This is his face on the cross. It was actually part of a bigger piece that I made that was a cross that actually fell apart and broke. And so I was able to salvage this this piece. We're going to talk a lot about Christ today. Now, one last piece of artwork to show you, but I've got to get your help. Can you play pretend a little bit with me? Can we engage our imaginations? All right. This is a painting of the most beautiful piece of artwork ever created. All right. Can you see it? Use your imagination. All right, let me hear the oohs and the ahs. That's right. This is absolutely stunning. It is more beautiful than any Monet, any Rembrandt, any Caravaggio, any Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael. Those aren't just names of mutant ninja turtles. This is the most beautiful work of art that you can ever imagine. Not only that but it also holds within its image the key to reaching a lost and broken and dying world. The key to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is in this beautiful image. And I bet you're dying to know what this is actually a picture of, aren't you? Okay, we're going to get there, but we're going to hold that for a few more minutes. I want to look at the Word of God. The Bible is an amazing book. 
It's written by 40 different authors over about 100 or 1,500 years. It's filled with different stories, hundreds of vignettes and stories. Yet somehow, in some way, it tells one remarkable story from the beginning to the end. It's the most beautiful love story that you can imagine. Better than when Harry met Sally, or Sleepless in Seattle, or Twilight. <laughs> this, this is the most beautiful love story that is ever told. And this story is true. And it opens with a wedding in a garden next to the tree of life. And then over here at the very end, it ends, anybody want to guess? With a wedding in a garden next to the tree of life. Turn to Genesis chapter 2 if you have your Bibles. Actually, let's go Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, just to let you know, the word man here, the Hebrew word is Adam. It actually uh, is, is used for all of humanity in this sense. But it's also where we draw the name Adam from, right? So God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you skip down to uh, in, in chapter 2, to um, uh, in verse 9, it says, And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and the good of food. The tree of life was in the midst of garden, the garden. So here we are in the garden of paradise, and God makes Adam and Eve, male and female, and they are joined together as husband and wife. We don't actually see the wedding ceremony take place. We don't read about Adam renting a tux and Eve bride sh- you know, uh, shopping for a bridal gown or anything like that. But what is implied is the union between man and woman, Adam and Eve, husband and wife. And we are told that in that union, two become one flesh. And right there in their midst is the tree of life. Now at the very end of the story... Revelation, chapter 21, verses 9. And then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to the great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Here they are in the midst of new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. And if you skip down a little bit to chapter 22, 
In verse 2, it says, On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. It starts with a small wedding between one man and one woman. But it ends with the union of the entire church. All of those that have given their life to Christ and worship and obey the mighty triune God are formed together as his bride and they are united with him forever and ever and ever. What a beautiful, amazing way to bookend scripture that God chose. But scripture isn't just bookended with with pictures of marriage. It is throughout The idea of marriage is on almost every single page in every book of Scripture. Right in the middle of the Bible is the Song of Solomon. Pretty erotic love poetry written between a husband and a wife. And it'll make you blush if you read it. But we also see this as an analogy of how God speaks to his people. Just a few books over from the Song of Solomon, there's the beautiful story of Hosea, who is told to marry a woman of ill repute. And God says, Hosea, she's not going to be faithful to you, but I want you to marry her anyway. And sure enough, Hosea marries Gomer, And she is not faithful to him, and she leaves. And you know what God says? Hey, Israel, you're just like Gomer. You're an adulterous bride that has gone and left. Throughout Scripture, there's these incredible stories of marriage. Even in the New Testament, we have pictures of what this looks like. Christ References back to Genesis when he's questioned about divorce. And he says, from the beginning, it was not so. He says, a husband will leave his parents to marry the wife and the two shall become one. Where does Christ do his first miracle? Anybody want to say it? At a wedding. At a wedding. The idea of marriage is inherently written on all of our hearts and all throughout Scripture. And it begins in this passage in Genesis. We're going to go back to that. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, um, God is not using what is called the royal we here. You know when royalty and rich people speak and they say things like, yes, I think we'll have a sandwich today. (laughs) Right? But they're really just talking about themselves. God isn't using the royal we. He is using the plural for a very good reason, and it's because God is one God, but God is a triune God. There are three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. So I need everybody to do me a favor. All right, take one hand, put one finger up, take your fist like this. All right, are you ready? One God, three persons. Yeah, that's pretty clever, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. We serve one mighty God, but God has three persons that are ever existent. None of them were created. Christ was always there. The Holy Spirit was always present. The Father was always present. And they have always existed in this mutual giving of love and submission between the three heads or the three members of the Godhead. The Father is constantly loving the Son. The Son is loving the Father. The Spirit right in the midst and we are created in this image. You see, God is a God of love and relationships. And we are not made to be individual people. We are made to love and to be loved. We are made to be in relationships with others We are made for one another. You know what this is a picture of? Us, created in the image of God, created male and created female. You see, we are the pinnacle of God's creation, not the fish. Not the mountains, not the ocean, not a zebra or a donkey or an elephant or a giraffe or a whatever, a platypus. I love platypuses. But they're not the pinnacle of creation. You and I, created in the image of God, are the height of God's creative handiwork. We are the greatest piece of art that has ever been created. This is us. But something tragic happened. You see, there is a very real enemy in this world. And Satan was cast out of heaven because of the envy he had for the mighty triune God. And not only is the enemy envious of God, but he is envious of anything made in his image. And that means that Satan is envious of you and I. What is the one thing that we have that an angel doesn't, fallen or otherwise? We've got, we've got free will because we're made in the image of God. We've got a body. And our bodies point inherently to our creator. The church fathers would reference this as the imago Dei, the image of God. But Satan wants to destroy that. And that's the story that we get of Adam and Eve being tempted in the garden and falling into sin. And because of that sin, the image of God from humanity from that point further was crumbled and crushed because of the work of the enemy. 
And the image of God is marred because of sin. Now, our world wants to tell us that this is okay. That this crumbled up piece of paper, broken and torn and ripped, is actually normal. This is the enemy at work trying to keep us from living into what we are truly meant to be. And the world says, you know what? You can stay a crumbled up piece of mess. You can stay broken. The image of God in you, men, is different from the image of God in you, women. Did you know that? You see, women, you get to represent the, the incredible empathy and compassion and beauty of God's femininity. Men, we get to represent God's strength, His might, His masculine characteristics. God made us male and female, and they are inherently different. But we live in a world that says even though you might be born into sin and confused about who you are and what you are, that's okay, stay a crumpled up piece of paper. I just watched a video the other day of a girl, I think she was in the Netherlands or Denmark or something like that, and she thinks that she was born in the wrong species. She thinks that she's a cat. Now, it's a kind of humorous video, but it's also heartbreaking at the same point. Because a cat isn't the image of God. A cat is a beautiful creation of God's work, but it doesn't bear His image You see, we alone in creation bear his image. And the more we buy into the confusion of the world, the more we stay like this. And when we are like this, we are not the beautiful bride that God means us to be. Now let me say this. I know for the men here, when I start to talk about us um, being brides, it gets a little awkward and you're like, hey, I don't want to be a bride. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm with you. But kind of get over that initial awkwardness and realize that this is an analogy that God has used and not just used, but created to point to Him. Now, I told you that we were going to get back to that word icon, right? I told you to put it on the shelf. We're going to pull it back down. Now, in the strict sense, an icon is a piece of artwork typically created in the Orthodox churches or in the uh, Roman Catholic churches. And it does in the same way what worship music does for us in kind of the evangelical Protestant world, right? When we are worshiping God in truth, And in might, we are free to encounter the power of the Holy Spirit through the lyrics, through the rhythm, through the melody of the music. In a lot of ways, it's a portal. Music becomes a window into the throne of God. And we encounter His presence. Well, an icon is just a visual way of doing the same thing. And so, as I said, if you walk into an Orthodox church and you see the the story of the Bible is unfolded and the icons that they have painted all around their walls. Absolutely gorgeous. 
And if you allow those icons to tell the biblical story, then those icons are not idols, something to be worshipped. They're a window into who we should be worshipping. They allow us to encounter Christ. Now, we all know this is true, right? I mean, we can see visual things that stir our hearts. We walk out and we see the sunset or the sunrise. And we go, man, God is magnificent. Or we see a powerful uh, uh, painting. You look at the Sistine Chapel, what Michelangelo painted, and you go, whew, God is good. Because it becomes a window into experiencing the truth and the power of God. Unfortunately, a lot of times, music included, our icons become idols. We stop allowing those things to be windows to point to God. And we start to worship those things themselves. An icon becomes an idol when instead of seeing the power of God in the paint and in the wood, you see the wood and you see the paint and you think that somehow power magically is invested in this thing. Marriage. And the Imago Dei, the image of God in us, can be an icon or it can be an idol. Do you remember Jerry Maguire? Anybody want to go back to the 90s and Renee Zellweger and, and Tom Cruise? A lot of us loved that movie uh, and might still love that movie. But, but I want to tell you that I actually think that the words, the famous line of that movie, move a relationship from icon into idol worship. What's the famous line? You complete me. You, or show me the money. Yeah, not that one. (laughs) When Tom Cruise, right there, he's at the very end, and he's trying to win Renee Zellweger back, and he says, you complete me. And then she says something like, you had me at hello, right? Listen. As much as you may love your spouse, if you're married, or as much as you may be looking forward to being married one day, your spouse is not your completion. Your only completion is in Christ. Now, marriage is a beautiful analogy. Marriage is a beautiful icon that when a husband in his full Omega day of the masculinity of God is united as one flesh with his wife who is representing the femininity of God come together. Husband and wife get to portray a full picture of who God is. And the power of their union can point the world to the loving God that desperately wants to come in and marry us, his bride. But when marriage becomes an idol, when we, become to, when we start to idolize the human body or degrade the human body, we are making idols out of marriage, out of relationships, out of sexuality. And this is why our world is so broken right now. Because we look at a world 
that says you can be whatever you think you are. You can destroy the image of God in marriage however you think you can. And it doesn't matter because the enemy wants you to be convinced that this is all that there is. But I am here to tell you this morning, this is not what it's about. God wants to come and he wants to tenderly and lovingly unfold this broken mess. He wants to take every wrinkle, he wants to take every rip, and he wants to smooth it out with all of his love and with all of his kindness, with his nail-scarred hands, and take every bit of brokenness that we face and make it whole and complete. He wants to make it this again. Now, listen. Let me read to you from the Song of Solomon. I told you it'll make you blush. This is how God looks at the world. This is how God looks at us. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. God looks at you, his bride, whether you belong to Liberty or Church of the Outer Banks or Coastal Family or Nags Head or Holy Redeemer by the Sea, if you are in Christ, you are his bride. You are part of the big C church. And he looks at you with loving tenderness and compassion and he says, you have captivated my heart. Now that's pretty amazing and remarkable, isn't it? Now let's go back to Hosea that I mentioned earlier. Hosea marries Gomer. They have children together. God says, name your children no mercy. Name your children not my people. Now that's pretty harsh. What if your parents had named you, ain't my kid. (laughs) You, You feel a little hurt. God says, go and find Gomer and bring her back and make her your own. And this is a picture of my dealings with my people, my church. He says, and on that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel and I will show her for myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy and I will say to not my people, you are my people and he shall say, you are my God. How? How are we made God's bride? How are we made clean and whole? How are we made pure? By the life, by the death, and the resurrection of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Augustine of Hippo, St. Augustine, wrote these beautiful words about the cross. 
Now remember, the Bible began with a tree of life. It ends with a tree of life. It began with a wedding. It ends with a wedding. And right smack dab in the middle, there's the tree of life again. Although now it doesn't look like a tree of life. It looks like a tree of death. And it's the cross. And St. Augustine wrote that the cross was the marriage bed of the bride and the groom. Augustine wrote this. Like a bridegroom, Christ went forth from his chamber. He came to the marriage bed of the cross, and there in mounting it, he consummated his marriage. And when he had perceived the size of the creature, he lovingly gave himself up to torment in place of his loving bride and joined himself to her forever. We have been joined with Christ forever forever. We don't have to earn it again. We don't have to earn it at all. We are made his bride because Christ lovingly gave his life for us. How beautiful. How amazing. Now, back to what I was saying about this wonderful news being the key to evangelism and sharing the gospel. This right here, this image of God that you and I are made to be as his bride is how we share the gospel with the world. Remember when I was in seminary, my wife and I had gone to chapel one day and we sat down, we were fairly new to the seminary and didn't know a lot of folks. And we were worshiping, and a man came and sat down next to us. And we barely spoke with him. I think we introduced ourselves, and that was about it. But when he left, my wife looked at me and said, did you feel that? And I said, yeah, that was a holy man of God. His name was Reg Johnson. He was a professor at the seminary. And the image of God was so alive and present in his whole being that he radiated the power and the love of Christ in simply his presence. It wasn't his words. It wasn't his actions. It was simply the fact that the image of God was so beautiful and so blameless in him that it knocked us on our rear ends. God wants to do the same thing with you and me. We are not meant to live life crumpled. You are not meant to go through life like this. When the enemy says, this is just the, the, what you're going to have to deal with until you get to heaven, you say, no. God promised salvation and sanctification and redemption here and now. Now, it's a process for sure right? But we are promised in the word of God defeat over sin in our life. And we can have this, not for our own sake. Because if it was for our own sake, we would take this and mar it into idol worship again. We are given the image of God in us for the sake of others. We are made to be loved and we are made to love. 
married people, I want to talk to you for just a moment. And the power of the image of God in your married life, as husband and wife who have been made one flesh, you have a unique opportunity to witness to the world God's fullness of his masculinity and femininity. Satan wants to destroy the image of marriage because it's such a beautiful picture of the triune God. Within the, the, the marriage, you hold the life, I mean the ability to create life, co-create life with God. You can be mother and father, not just to your children, but to the people in your life that are orphans. The Outer Banks is full of single folks, and I'm going to talk to you folks in just a minute. There's full of people that have grown up, and whether they're 8, 9, 10, 16, or 28, that have never had a marriage modeled for them. They didn't have a father or mother the way they should have. And you, as a husband and wife, can be that mother and father to people in this community that desperately need to see that. And they need to receive that. Now, single people, I know that you long to be married. And whether you're single because you're just not old enough to get married yet, or because you're divorced, or because your spouse passed away, remember this, you are not incomplete. All right? You are not incomplete. Those of you that lost a spouse, we grieve and we mourn with you, and it is right and a good thing to grieve and to mourn the loss of a spouse, right? But remember, your marriage was never meant to complete you. Your marriage was meant to point both of you and the people around you to the ultimate marriage of the church with Christ. So remember, you are not incomplete, and you can go and represent the fullness of God in your life to the community around you. And when the people around you are bemoaning the fact that they're single and that they desperately want somebody in their life to make them whole, you can remind them that the yearning and the burning that they feel deep down in their heart is really to God. And you can model fidelity to Christ. And maybe God will, will join you with somebody in the future, but maybe not. That's okay because your completion is in Him. The image of God in you, whether you are married or single, is for the benefit of rescuing a dying and broken world. God doesn't want a little bride. God wants His bride to be full and complete and he wants it to be people from the Outer Banks and people from California and people from Canada and people from Mexico and people from Israel. And he wants it to be people from China and Korea and the Middle East and from Russia and from all over the world. That's God's bride. It's not just one denomination or one little C church. We take the image of God in us. And we need to go out into this community where God has planted us and we need to take that image to the people that are so hungry and thirsty and dying. Because y'all listen, there is an epidemic in this community. It is drug addiction. 
It is alcohol addiction. It is sexual addiction. It is the brokenness of marriages. It is the lie of Satan that is trying to make the outer banks stay like this. And we're not going to do this. We're going to claim the victory of Christ. And we are going to live into the image of God. We are going to live into this. And we're going to see our, fr- our, our brothers and our sisters, our friends and our family, we're going to see them come into a loving relationship with Christ where they get to join us as his bride and live forever and ever and ever. Amen. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to close. If this morning you feel like this, but want to be like this, I'm going to pray. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit as he makes you whole. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we come before you. And we trust and we believe that you are taking us now tenderly. And you are unfurling that piece of paper that's been balled up. And you are smoothing out the wrinkles and you are repairing the rips so that we are clean and we are whole and we are made your bride. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Lord, we hear your words where you say, you are my lovely bride. You have captivated my heart. Thank you for being captivated with us. Holy Spirit, heal, unite, renew. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.